We are in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help those women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We've moved out of chapter 3 now into chapter 4 of Philippians. Let me, let me just summarize those first three chapters a bit. And then we're going to move in to look at the beginning of chapter 4 and uh, come to the Lord's table this morning. If you remember, the you that have walked through this process, uh, we started really in, in the heart of this passage when we looked the very first Sunday at Paul's declaration about when he was wrestling whether he would live or die. He didn't, he didn't know for sure. He thought he probably would live, according to that passage, but wasn't sure. Uh, death could have been at his doorstep. Certainly it wasn't going to be a long time, but he thought for now maybe the Lord was going to give him added days. If you remember, even before we began to to preach, we took that passage. And the whole theme of this particular book is Christ be magnified. That's really what we've been looking at as we've walked through it. And to be honest with you, as I've gone through it and walked in it, I just more and more um, have been gripped by what Paul as saying in Philippians. Let me just show you how succinctly what we've said so far is summarized in chapter 1. Let me read it to you. It says in verse 21, for me to live, or excuse me, starting verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. This is when he was wondering about whether he would live or die, but that Christ would be honored and the the word magnified, it do no damage to the scripture to use the word magnified, that Christ might be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And remember, for those that are visiting this morning, magnification is not that magnification of a microscope, which takes something very small and makes it bigger, but the magnification of a telescope. As you look through a telescope, what you're attempting to do is seeing something very, very large as it really is. And that's what our lives are to be like as Christians. Our lives are to be such that we so live our lives, and that's what Paul wanted, that Christ would be seen for who he really is. Because he had a, he had a premise that he believed about people really seeing Christ for who he is. He knew it would make a huge difference in the fruit of those lives. Now let me read on. It says that Christ might be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I go on living, there will be fruitful labor. And that fruitful labor is tied to my my magnifying Christ. It will flow out of Christ being magnified by my life as I live it. And then he goes, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. I desire to, to depart and be with Christ so that which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, on the Philippians' account. Convinced of this, he's he's having a growing resolution that he's going to be around. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you 
for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, he, he thinks he's going to live so that he can have fruitful labor. And what that fruitful labor will look like is progress and joy in the faith of the Philippians. And we spent quite a bit of time as we walked through Philippians talking about Christianity is about joy. It's, it's not to be a dreary experience. Can it be hard in this life? Do we have trouble? Yes, but so do unbelievers. There, if there's no place, as we've said, for joy in, in seeing and understanding what this represents, if you never have that experience of joy in your faith, something's wrong. I don't, I don't de-Christianize you, but something is wrong. And, and especially you are missing part of the blessing that God wants to give you in this life of faith. So Paul believed there would be progress in joy in the faith. Now we talked quite a bit about that in the past. And you can go back on the webpage. You can get those messages. You can listen to those messages. And I would encourage you to do that if you haven't. But now what I've seen even more fully in this passage, I didn't talk about this that first Sunday. But these last weeks, we have been in Philippians chapter 3. And we have spent a great deal of time with that passage in Philippians chapter 3, that in verse 2, it says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. In other words, look out for these people who got it wrong. The Judaizers are distorting the gospel. And then he says, For the real circumcision looks like this. In other words, true Christianity looks like this. What is true Christianity? We talked about that in the context that we, there's so many different stripes, so many different things out there, so many different shingles over the doorposts of churches. How can you know? I grew up in this church. How can I know what's really true, what's central, what's of essence, what the heart of it is? We, we've talked about that. You can get those messages as well. But basically what he says, we are the real circumcision, and he says this, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's the description. You, you, can, you can disagree with Paul, but you can't get around the fact that what Paul just said, that's a true Christian. There is a way to know true believers. There is a way to know that you've got it right, at least from Paul's perspective. Paul taught that. Now, you can disagree that Paul was wrong, but you can't say that Paul wasn't emphatic about what a true Christian does. He worships by the Spirit of God. He glories in Christ Jesus. And he puts no confidence in the flesh. That's what Paul was saying. I think he's right. I think that's the essence. If you're struggling today, whether you're young or old, about how can there be so many stripes, how can we know anything for sure, how can we know what's true, just go back to that. And ask God, show me what you mean here. What do you mean by worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh? And just hang on to God until he helps you see it. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't buy the lie that you can't know. That's not what Paul taught. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what Christianity teaches. Now, there are people who want to distort Christianity, but it's not what Scripture teaches. Paul said, we are the real, true circumcision who do those things. Now, let me tie that back to what I just was reading in Romans chapter 1. Look at what he says here. He says, I'm convinced of this. I'm going to stay. I will remain. I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith so that you may have ample cause to do what? Look at it. 
you will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. What did he just say? The true circumcision, worshiped by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, but no confidence in the flesh. You see, Paul, the essence of why Paul felt Christ must be magnified. If people, if, if people can just see Christ for truly who He is through my life, if He is magnified, if, if they see Him for who He truly is, they will glory in Him. They will glory in Him. And what glory means is they will rejoice in Him. They will exalt in Him. That's the picture of what Paul was attempting to accomplish in the Philippians' lives. And really not just the Philippians' lives, but all of the people that he ministered to. That was his goal. That ultimately he would so lift up Christ and people would see Him clearly enough that they would rejoice in this display of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 says that we, we see the glory of Christ, or the glory of God most fully in the face of Christ. You see, if you want to see the glory of God at the epic, at the peak of what it is, you just have to look to Christ. It is the, it is the apex of the display of the glory of God, what Christ has done. That's why this morning I took time to, to, to pause where it said in that song, the Father crushed the Son. I do that just to fill time? No. I did that so that hopefully we will see more of the glory of Christ, that He was willing to come, willing to leave a perfect situation. And none of us even know what He left because none of us know perfection. We can't even understand it in a broken world. But He left a perfect situation. He didn't leave it because he was lonely. He didn't leave it because he had any need in himself. God doesn't have any need. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect fellowship, perfect union. Everything's perfect. But he chose to come. Not only to come, but to be crushed in coming. You see, that's seeing Christ. And my, my hope when I do those things is you just, all of a sudden, God just takes the blinders off. And you start to see this thing because it is only in seeing. And God has to do some of the opening. Or not some of it, but He has to do the opening. Let's open our eyes to see it. But in seeing it, in seeing it, you rejoice. You see why I say if, if you're not rejoicing, you're not seeing something. And, and I feel a burden as a pastor. I hope everybody who teaches in this church Anybody has anything to do with leadership in the church feels a desire that, that we just want to more fully magnify Christ so that people can see. And I'm convinced if you see it, if you really see it, it will produce joy in your heart. Now sometimes it's wintry joy. I understand. It's a broken world. But joy, there has to, it, it produces joy. This faith is not about dreariness that's not that's not what it should produce my hope is i every every month when we have communion my hope is when you walk in those doors from very from the very outside and you look into the sanctuary and you see these elements that 
joy rises up because you connect them to what they represent, to Christ. That's, that's the rhythm of the Christian life. That's why Paul was going to stay around. He knew that the fruit would be progress and joy for the Philippian people. Now, we come to chapter 4 of Philippians. And the word there says, therefore. Therefore, he says in chapter 4. Which references back to all that I just said. Why did I just repeat all of that? Because the therefore goes back to that. And really the therefore, I think, goes back to what he said in the essence of glorying in Christ Jesus. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. How do you stand firm? How do you stand firm in your Christian life? There's only one way to do it. It is not by sheer grit and determination. If all you have is sheer grit and determination, you can't do it successfully. The stand firm here has, has to do with something you see, something you understand, and something you glory in. And that's Christ Jesus. I think when Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord. Stand firm as you glory in Christ. As you glory in Christ. Think about it this morning. Did you glory in Christ this morning as you prepared to come here? Did you glory in Him? Or did you just get up and go through the motions of every seven days we come here? Was there any glorying in coming? Was there any anticipation in coming to corporate worship? I think the rhythm of the Christian life should be we wake up and we glory in Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We exult in Christ. And we come here because of that. Now, does that, that doesn't mean, again, that we don't have difficult things in our lives. It doesn't mean that pain doesn't come. It doesn't mean that we don't get pricked and poked. We do. But what should it do? I think it should make us glory even more in Christ. That one day, all of this will be gone. One day, all of this brokenness will be over. And there will be a time of no brokenness on a new heavens and a new earth. So Paul says, therefore, my brothers, you can see his, his heart, how much he cared for these people, how much he desired that they would progress in the joy of their faith and they would do it as they learn to glory in Christ. Now, what, what, let me one more time talk just a moment about how Paul did it here in Philippians chapter 3. We have to go back to 3. But this is how Paul gloried. This is what it means to glory. This is what Paul meant when he talked about glorying in Christ. And I think that's what he meant when he said stand firm. Glory in Christ. But he says this as we read it. He talks about in chapter 3 of his, of his, uh, his conversion to Christ. And his coming to see Christ. And see the glory of Christ. And, and really beginning to understand Jesus Christ and who he was and why he came. But here he says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in verse 4, 
I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, so as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That was Paul's life. But then it says, but whatever I gain, I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's he saying? In essence, he's saying there was a time when I gloried in something else than Christ. I gloried in my persecution of this Christ. I gloried in my legalistic righteousness, in my Jewish law abiding nature. He gloried in that. That's what he took glory in. That was his highest joy. That's what he exulted in. That's what he got stroked for. But he says, at one time, that's what I gloried in. But no longer. No longer do I glory in that. No longer do I glory in all of those things. That All of them I consider rubbish that I might now glory in Christ. Who has provided a righteousness for me that I couldn't get by the law. You see, Paul continually came back to glory in Christ. If you remember, as we walked through chapter 3, we gave a description of how you can recognize people who may have a form of godliness but really are not the true deal, are not the true circumcision, some characteristics that arise in those kinds of things. And as we read that, it says in in chapter 19 of chapter 3, it says their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. See that word glory again? It's what you glory in. The way you can determine those who are not quite square to Christianity is that they glory in the wrong things. For a Christian, we glory in Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh. We glory in all that He has accomplished and all this table represents. And the essence of those who are not quite square in Christianity or someplace along the line, if you dig deep enough, they're glorying in something other than in Christ. They've got the weight someplace other than on Christ. And eventually it kind of shows up. You begin to sense it. It manifests itself in a veiled kind of pride as we talked about. But the issue is, what do you glory in? And if you glory in Christ, you will be able to stand firm. If you don't glory in Christ, you're not standing very firm. If you're glorying in something else, you're not standing very firm. If you're glorying in something else, you don't have much joy in your Christian life. This morning I ask you, as we come to this table, do you glory in what it represents? Do you rejoice in what it represents? Do you exult in what it represents to us? And is it becoming more and more just the natural rhythm of your life to think on those things, to glory in that Christ? I hope that's the case. He goes on here to talk about a couple of ladies who were having some trouble getting along. And he admonishes them to get along in the Lord. Um, You see, that's, that's the fruit of 
of not standing firm. If you aren't glorying in Christ, if He's not central, all kinds of stuff just kind of crops up. All kinds of things that aren't very important get, get important status in our lives. And Paul says, just come back to Christ. Glory in Him. Don't glory in, in winning the argument, but glory in Christ. Don't glory in your righteousness, but glory in His. And, and ultimately, he ends that section by, by talking about we work together. These women and I work together, and Clement and others, and all whose names are in the book of life. So he's talking about people that Paul's pretty convinced were believers. These two ladies, he's pretty convinced they're believers. He doesn't say they're not believers. He says their names are in the book of life. That's the definition of a believer, that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. That, that you have trusted Christ. That you put your hope there. But the problem is, if we don't, as we put our hope there, learn to glory in Christ, as we walk this Christian life, then all kinds of distractions get in. There. All kinds of things get in the way. And Paul's just saying, stand firm. Come back to Christ. Glory in Him. We're going to pray together this morning. And I just, I just want to ask you the question. Do you understand what it means to glory in Christ? Do you understand what it means to have joy rise up in your soul, to rejoice in Christ? Is it becoming more and more the pattern of your life as you come to public corporate worship to come rejoicing with joy? I pray that's the case. Let's bow our heads together. Father, help us. Help us to be a people known for how much we glory in Christ. How much we we talk about Him and what He's done for us. How much we're overwhelmed by His mercy and His grace to us. How much we're dependent on Him providing a righteousness that is alien to us by which we can stand before You. Lord, help us. If there's some here this morning who, who certainly have, have heard and maybe are buying in a bit to the lie of the world that you just can't know. You, you can't know the way. You can't know what's right. I pray that some of the things we've talked about here, the, the admonition to glory in Christ Jesus would just, just make sense to them. They'd come to realize that, that that's the essence and, and if, if we're glorying in something else, it's wrong. Lord, help us this morning. The night you were betrayed, you took the bread. You took the drink. And you said for us to take these regularly in remembrance of you. And so we come here this morning to do just that. To remember all that they represent to us. And to glory in all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like for the ones who are going to help us to distribute, if you'd come and take your places this morning and help us as we distribute the elements. We're going to sing together. Matthew's going to lead us in really the theme song of this book of Philippians. All I have is Christ. It just declares that that's what I glory in is Christ. I hope, I hope God will work in our hearts. 
that He'll minister to our hearts. And if you, even as we began this morning, find that you've put your weight in something other than that, just, just tell God. Repent. Shift your weight. Quit glorying in that and glorying in Christ. That's the essence of a walk of faith. body of Christ, we invite you, if you live under the invitation in the bulletin, to partake with us. We'll present the elements to you, ask you to hold them, and we'll partake together.
please the Father to crush the Son whom this bread represents to us. To crush Him that justice might be done for every sin of those who believe. Take and eat. Be grateful this morning. of Christ this morning. Take and hold it. We'll partake together. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and lift all my sweet the strength to follow your commands could never come use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be my only is you hallelujah hallelujah
think for a moment as you contemplate taking this element of where you find your deepest joy that has to do about what you glory in the most if you glory in something you find joy in it the degree to which you glory is the degree to which you have joy is Christ your deepest joy that's the goal we're sinful people and some of us will take this element in repentance this morning that's okay as long as it's in repentance but what we declare is I glory in Christ as my deepest joy and where I fall short Lord forgive me and help me take and drink this morning let's stand together interesting this morning as I was in Sunday school class one of you came to me with a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 you had the NIV version I think of it which said it really just pretty specifically I glory in Christ Jesus Paul there at the end of Romans my version says it a bit differently I think it has the same inference in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud for my work for God. That was Paul. But he really is saying, I glory in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to write this. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What Christ has accomplished. Do we glory in all of that? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to glory more and more in Your Son, Father. Help us to be a church that speaks much about Christ. Not as lip service. Not because that's the thing you're supposed to do at church. But let us be people who speak of Him all through the week. And then as we come to these times, it's just the overflow of our heart to glory in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.